Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says all scripture is profitable. It didn't say some scripture. The Bible says all scripture is profitable. Wherever the Lord will choose, to minister to you. It's all what? Profitable. It's given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. For what? Doctrine? For what? Reproof? For what? Correction? For what? For instruction in righteousness until the man of God, woman of God, prophetess, evangelist, be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the perfect Christian is not only exhorted, they are comforted, they are corrected, they are rebuked, <laughs> they are instructed in righteousness. Hallelujah. Today is one of those instructions in righteousness. I thank God that that line doesn't say instruction into righteousness. That line says instruction in righteousness. So we instruct the righteous. We don't instruct you into righteousness. Why? Because the Bible says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. Luke the 18th chapter. St. Luke the 18th chapter. From the 9th verse. I want to read for us a very interesting story. Jesus spoke a parable. And to certain people which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, he's giving a message to people who thought they were righteous in their own means and way. And because they felt they were righteous or better than others, the Bible tells us they started to despise others. Now, let's read the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed thus with himself. This is how he prayed. He says, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. They are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. So there was a man seated there. I fast twice a week. I give of my tithes, coming and mint. Imagine somebody praying like that. <laughs> Imagine somebody going to God to pray like that. God, I thank you. Because I'm better than that brother there. He's a thief. But me, I'm not. 
He's a liar. I've never told a lie. Are you seeing where we're coming from? He's an extortioner. Ooh, but me, Shorako, Zodo. I'm not an extortioner. A man is praying like that to God. He's thanking God. And then he compared himself with another man. And he says, and above all, I thank you because I'm not like that guy. There. He's a publican. Those are the guys that steal tax money. Now another man is standing on the side, this wonderful publican. Verses 13. This other man would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote up his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone, the Bible says, that exalted himself shall be a best, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Somebody shout hallelujah. When you read this portion of scripture, you would be so quick to say, that is not me, of course. I'm not that kind of person. You see? But I'm going to take us into a very deep conversation and tell us one of the most wicked things that we can become in our own righteousness. Remember, there is a righteousness that is given to you by God through faith. All right? And then there is a righteousness that is not given by God, but it's only in your own works and is attributed to what you do and what you perform greater than another man. And Jesus gave us a juxtaposition. He helped us give a very clear comparison between two men who both came in the presence of God. And one came with a pedigree of every beautiful thing that pleases the Lord. Boastfully, he is exalting himself over the other fellow. His credentials all mark and match everything expected of a true believer, quote-unquote. And then you have another man who has sinned. He cannot even look up to heaven because the things he has done are too bad. And he smites his chest and says, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And this is the shocker, that these two men walk back home and God carries indignation over the man that did everything to the book and then justifies this man that came to him to say, I am a sinner. God is amazing. The Bible says somewhere in Proverbs chapter 30 verses 12, the Bible says that there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. And yet they are not washed from their filthiness. Why does this portion of scripture catch me so big? Because God is giving a possibility of one assuming, thinking, having the perception 
validating the opinion that they are the best Christian. And then they have somebody they will point to and say, you know, but that brother is so, mm -mm. at least me, I pray for him, he doesn't work. I fast for him, he doesn't work. I sow seed for him, he doesn't work. So seed. Does that mean that God is against our good works? No. But he has revealed to us here that there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet filthy. Because the state of the heart of this Pharisee was a righteousness that he boasted over according to his own means and power and not yielded to the grace that only God can supply. On the other side of it, there is a man who understands the depravity of the human soul and is continuously conscious that he can never be anything except God have mercy on him and help him out. And at the end of the day, Jesus is pleased with the man who has a clear picture of his depravity than the man who has a list of everything he thinks he has done right and therefore qualifies or is entitled for God's reward or goodness. And there are many believers in the world who live there. They just don't know that they actually live there. How do you know? You know this by how quickly you are to disqualify and judge another believer that is not where you are. You are exactly like that Pharisee in many ways because there are certain people you look at and you feel that you are more righteous. You feel like you are more approved by God. You walk more right than they are. And the beginning of comparing yourself with another believer is the beginning of stirring the anger of God even when you are doing right. Some people do not know. On Paul's conversion, as he gives his account in Philippians, he tells you whatever he was before he got born again. He was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He was of the most purest stock of every Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. A Hebrew of Hebrews, the Bible says, as touching the law, blameless. If you got the Ten Commandments and you say, did you steal? Paul wasn't a thief. And I thank God that in his rendering, he says, as touching the law, comma, a Pharisee. Does that connect you to what I'm sharing? Remember the guy who goes to God in Luke 18 is a what? A Pharisee. So that means it was the way of the Pharisees to boast over their works of the law. So he says, as touching the law, I was a what? A Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. So why would Paul need Jesus? If you put the Ten Commandments of Moses, Paul had fulfilled every one of them. But he was not born again. He was not yet saved. It is possible for somebody to fulfill every law 
in the Bible and still not go to heaven. Because that's not the yardstick that takes you to heaven. You ask the people in the world, if you ask them, what do you think you have to do to go to heaven? They'll say, be a good person. All of them actually think you just need to be a good person. And if you can be a good person, God will take you to heaven. That's the mindset of the Pharisee. I want you to see how they think. But Paul says, but of all those things that were gained to me, I have counted loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ for whom I count all things but dung that I may win him. So when he says it was dung, when he uses the word dung for righteousness, according to works, does that mean that Paul or God is telling us that it is wrong to live a good life, to walk and live righteously? No! By all means, no. Because the foundation of the message of grace is to help you live right. But by what terms or means do you live right? Do you live right by your own strength and abilities? If you do, you're not only going to be boastful over what you do, you're always going to compare yourself with others to see how far they are compared to where you are. But if you lead your entire personality on God by grace with the righteousness only he can give, you will never compare yourself with another man. Nor even bear the thought or ounce that you are better than your brother who is next to you. Because you know that last week he was caught in some trouble of which you have not done. But unfortunately, that's where Christians are today. Many Christians are so Pharisee without even knowing. Some of us will live a life of approving ourselves of the things that we have done to be right before God. It has become so bad that not only has it disconnected us from the reality of truth, but we have become policemen and bodyguards of everyone who is not doing right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We have become policemen over everybody who is not doing right. We have become hypocritical. Why? Because the more inflated you are about what you are doing, the more you are blinded from actually what you're not doing. And sometimes what you're not doing is even worse than the brother that you are judging. The only problem is that you're seeing this through the lens of a carnal vision, not the revelation that God should give. How can a man give tithes? How can a man be faithful? He's fasting. He's doing everything right. He's not a thief. He's not an extortioner. He's not an adulterer. He's so perfect. And at the end of that, God looks at him as the most filthy thing that ever walked before his presence. What a contradiction. So then what is the approval of God? What is the stick that approves you right before God? Why would a publican walk back home justified and a man who has lived all his life right, quote unquote, condemned by the very book? We must understand how God works. It doesn't mean that God takes lightly our moral standards. No. He wants us to live in holiness. To walk in holiness. To do what is right. But by what means or by what terms. And now he gives us the thought of the 
Pharisee. The thought of the carnal righteousness. That which Isaiah calls filthy rags. And it tells us that they see purity in their own eyes. They are blinded from the filth that is within their heart. Now, how do you perform such deliverance? Because, you know, the deliverance many people know is your grandfather bewitched you on Tuesday. Mm, and I see your name on the grave. Mm, fire, fire, poo poo. You understand? Now, how do you deliver a man from that kind of bondage? Do you understand what I'm saying? It is easy to see who bewitched you. And we say, no, that nose is not supposed to be like that. Fire. And your nose what? You see what I'm saying? Oh, you're dealing with a disease and it is easy to rebuke that. But how do you rebuke that kind of spirit? How do you deliver a man from that kind of spirit except to open their eyes to their true state before God? Because I have seen men who are so filthy Yet in their own eyes, they're the most pure people you'll ever find. But it's in their own eyes. And they have the marks of everything expected to justify their purity. I don't do this. I don't do this. But I'm not like that one who does this. You understand? So that brother is this. This sister is this. But for me, no. Me, I'm this kind of person. But that brother, oh. And God looks at it and says, oh, what a filth. In Isaiah, the 65th chapter, you see him begin by trying to seek them out because he sees that kind of people and he sees they are lost. And he starts to seek them out. The Bible says, and they don't come to him. He tries to call them to himself and reconcile himself to them and they still will not give in. And they continue in their own rebellion, in their own justification and righteousness, in doing what they think is right and what will approve them to be good people. Yet every day they are slumping and falling of God's expectation. And in the fifth verse, 65 verses 5, if you will read the message version, he says, they say, stand by thyself. Now, these people would find another individual and tell him, no, 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 no. Stand by yourself. Don't what? Touch me. For I am holier than you are. You know those kinds of people? Have you been around those people who say, hey, 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 I don't even want to be near that brother. I don't want to sit next to that sister. Why? She's this. Do you know what she does? Mm -hmm. Shh, but don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Anita promised me you won't tell anyone. I swear I won't. <gasps> You're lying. Eh? You be there. Direct translation. If... You'll be there. You're serious? Yes. Mm. But don't tell anyone. And then Anita says, Shh. Then after that, she also goes for lunch with Lydia. Lydia, eh? Ha. But you girl, don't talk. Direct translation again. Can you believe that sister saw I saw this? <gasps> then you come to church. The very people who greet you every day, the moment you come in that, why? I'm holier. Read Isaiah before. He's seeking them out and they won't respond to him. He finds them and they won't commune with him. They go their own way and establish their own righteousness to a point where in their 
separation, alienation from the life of God, they still have a vision of purity and holiness, which God has not given. But they are so convinced that they are holier and more righteous than anybody else. We have people in this world who hold themselves on such a standard. We have ministers in this world who think that only their church is true. Only their church was called by God. Only their church has revival. <laughs> only their ministry is holy. It is the pure one. The whole world is scattered in deception. <laughs> so how do such men pray? Father, we thank you. Because in our church, we don't have prostitutes. But in the pastor so and such church, oh, they are full. And then this prostitute walks to God and says, Father, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. And God picks this woman up and justifies her. And the righteous one in courts is disqualified by God, even with his works. It began with how they were thinking. They started to think that they were purer. They were more righteous than their next neighbor. And then what follows with their actions? Their actions then start to come as though they isolate themselves from everything that does not appear to be holy to their level. You understand what I'm saying? They hold themselves to very high standards. Recently, some of us watched a video somewhere in a certain nation where a very prominent pastor was caught in some scandal. And then the ministry distanced themselves from a man who has given all his life to the church. And he knew the secrets of everyone in the church. He knew who was a thief. You understand what I'm saying? He knew who was an adulterer. He knew the drunkard. He knew the liar. He knew the extortioner. He knew them. But then you find that when he fell on that one or two sins, they were not willing to be patient with this one sin. Yet he's patient with every man's sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? A pastor is patient with every man's sin. When you sin, you're the ones who go to them as a pastor. I've sinned. Pray for me, I'm a sinner. You go like the publican. You understand what I'm saying? And the man fell. And the whole ministry said, we don't know that guy. We want nothing to do with him. Wow. Servants of God. The Bible says we have higher judgment. But do you understand what I'm saying? What about restoration? If he restored, shouldn't he be restored too? You see what I'm saying? Can't they be restored? No. Why? Because the congregation is Pharisee. The congregation is what? It's Pharisee. Some of you, you came in church before another sister. So you saw how she was dressing and you're like, oh, holy yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I have been in the gospel and I've seen the least expected people most transformed. And I've also been here long enough to see 
the most righteous people as filthy as anything that could come from hell. But it takes a certain understanding of God to interpret what I'm saying. Because we find ourselves easily falling for such little small things. We find ourselves disqualifying ourselves even with everything we have done right before God because we don't understand. Again, it began with how they think and then how they think affected their actions and behavior against the other brother. Recently, I found a pastor who they had, you know, put a very interesting story on. So I greet this guy, I hug him, how are you? So another pastor calls me and tells me, don't shake his hand ever again. Why? Meet me over tea. I will tell you. So I make it a point and I go to my friend, man of God, I asked him, uh-huh, what did I do? The guy said, eh, eh, do you know the man whose hand you shook? Mm-hmm. He's this, he's that, he's this. And interestingly, everything he told me, I knew more. <laughs> everything he told me, I what? Knew more. But I tend to understand why a woman is caught in adultery. And Jesus goes on the ground and writes some words. And speaks certain words. And by the time he's up, no man is there. I thought when he said, he without sin cast the first stone. You understand? He should have been the one to cast the first stone. Because he knew no sin. You see what I'm saying? Not only did they walk away. But it's important where Jesus stayed. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very important for you to note where my Lord stayed. He stayed with this woman. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he tells her, you have been forgiven, neither do I what? Condemn you. Even I who knew no sin will not condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Christianity. You know, I'm saying it because some of you don't even yet understand what it means to be born again. That is Christianity. So, his problem was that I was shaking a man's hand who had fallen. I knew the man's story. And I prayed for him too. And the Lord showed me the man's heart. The man was seeking mercy. He was seeking help. But this generation, if you stole in 1969, you'll forever be a thief. I don't know who I'm speaking to. <laughs> Give somebody a high five and tell him Chikora. Was God justifying this woman's sin? No. He told us sin no more. But even as I tell you sin no more, I'm not sure you're not going to do it, but I'm here with you. I'm not with them. Are you following what I'm trying to say? So you get this overinflated deception of your righteousness and how right you think you are before God. And then you start to distance yourself from everything that does not seem holy. We've seen them chasing them out of their meetings. And I'm not talking about, you see, it's one thing to say, let me leave this person because they've refused restoration or help. But there are people who are even seeking help do you know how many men of God cannot be sick? One time we went for a meeting. One of my pastor friends called a few of our agement pastors. And the guy said, let's just make peace. And, you know, not live like our fathers. So we had a very good meal, shared the word. And then we get to the point of a picture. 
Some guy says, can we take a picture? Some guy says, hey, 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 hey. he ran away from us. Because the picture was going to land him in what? In trouble. We look like we were sinners. Oh, some of you even feel ashamed. Let me tell you. When you're looking for grace to beggar, I'll be there. Jesus did not come for righteous men. He came for the ungodly. He came for the filthy. He came for those who knew that they need a savior. He did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. There is a difference. He did not send us to righteous men. He sent us to the world. He said, go ye in the world. That is why I tell you, if you ever find me with a person, I don't care how crazy they are. Leave me alone because that's where God wants me. And some of us now, we are also called sinners. Why? Because we had to be one with these men. And for us, it's okay. Because if you're a fisherman, you'll smell fish. It doesn't mean that you're a fisherman. And you'd rather call me a fisherman. If by smelling fish, I'll win these men and give them life. I'm okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because this is where Jesus is. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not there. He's here. He's with a broken. A tax collector stands in a tree. And Jesus tells him, come down. I'm having dinner with you today. Some of the disciples, I never heard that he went to their homes. But he went to the home of a tax collector. He sits down with this man and eats food with him. And after eating food with him, no condemnation. No criticism. Those of you who think that the only way you can get men saved eh, is by putting the law in their head. No, he just ate food with Zacchaeus. And after eating food, the Bible says Zacchaeus stood up and said, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor from today. If I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restrain him. This is a man who has come in contact with a man of light. Sometimes the transformation these people need is just to sit with them and tell them, God loves you. But the Pharisee, I'm not like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stole tax money. Of course there is wisdom there. There is also a place of wisdom in application. It doesn't mean that now from today, because I've said it, go to club. Because you're going to win souls. You might not come back. <laughs> you might go to a band that bottle calls you. Then you see it come. <laughs> so tell your neighbor there is wisdom in this. Praise the Lord. And because the Pharisees built that kind of life, and their thought pattern was a soul, their actions were segregative. The consequence of that was a certain falsehood was birthed in the community. And the falsehood was if people catch you this way, they are going to isolate you. So what do you do? Build a life where you're so perfect outside, it doesn't matter how you are within you. Are you following what I'm saying? Because it was the thing, it was the thing of that day. 
that if you don't walk in a certain way, if you're not doing a certain thing, you're disqualified already, and their actions prove. And so some of them were ashamed and put aside because of their weaknesses. And because of that, then, for you to fit in, you have to sort of draw a false worship, false humility, false allegiance, false piety. Everything about you is false. The problem with that is we now have a bunch of Christians who have learned to look righteous. Even when they're walking in church, they walk like this. Look at Brother Joseph. Has that man seen? But such Joseph, such Joseph here, you such Joseph here, <laughs> you'll fear. Here, if you open Joseph for two minutes, you'll run out of him. You see? But that's building a life of deception without, because we are not really touching the fundamental or the core issue that God is trying to deal with here. In Luke 16, verses 15, if you read the message version, Jesus spoke to them and said, you are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others. You are masters at making yourself look good in front of others. Why? Because you've realized if you don't look that way, they are going to what? Isolate you. So you master the art of looking good in front of others, the Bible says, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. Now we have Christians who are like that. Outside here, they look the holiest people, but if you enter their hearts, they are wicked. And that is why up there in Isaiah, when he saw their presentation of how they were trying to be holier than the rest, the Bible says, God said, these people gag me and I can't stand their stench. How can a man who feels holy stink? How can a man who feels and acts holy gag God? Because he is living a life of justification without, but without the inner transformation of the heart. You can tell a man's transformation through their heart. Some Christians are too wicked. You see what I'm saying? Do you know today, some people here listening to me, do you know you'd rather work with non-believers today than born-again Christians? You understand what I'm saying? Why should Christianity be so? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are casting out the devils of your grandfather. The things that caught you when you were young. Yes, they get them out. But there is something that can only come out by this someone. Somebody shout hallelujah. Do you know why we preach grace? Because grace is an inward work. 
The reason why we emphasize grace is because this is the only thing that God has guaranteed to change the human heart. That's what the Bible says. He says that it is better, it is a wise thing that a heart be established in what? Grace. And not in meats which have not profited them that have been occupied there in Hebrews 13 verses 9. You should not be carried about with diverse and strange doctrines for it is a good thing that the heart is established with grace. If God wants to deal with the human heart, he has to deal with it through grace, not the law. You can't change the human heart through don't do. Why? Because every time you change it through don't do, it will build a monument and righteousness around what it has not done. And when it builds that monument around it, it will make everyone who has done it wrong. Some of you, you even feel too holy to sit next to the person next to you. You say, mm -mm, to dissect with a woman. Eh? No, you're the filthy one. You're the filthy one, you just don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, let us see things the way God sees them. Let us see things the way God sees them. Because when you're teaching such sermons, eh, to show that this is a Pharisee listening, they're thinking of everyone who is like that. That's how you know that you're a Pharisee. <laughs> you're like, hmm, about who do I know? Ay, 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 Jemusi. That is Jemusi. <laughs> no, I'm talking about you. The fact that you have compared yourself with James, you're the one I came for. <laughs> Shout glory! Grace is the only thing that will teach you not to judge a weaker person. It's the only thing that will make you understand, hey, you were also there once. Like God was patient with you, be patient with her too. Like God withstood your madness, be patient with your brother's madness too. Like God was patient in your drug stupor, be patient with that woman's craziness also. But if you have never tested grace, you can't give it. You can't give it. You can't give it. Somebody shout hallelujah. Jesus said, come all ye. He didn't care how you come. You just come. Even if you messed up in a way that eh, you feel God will never forgive you. Find your seat and sit and say, God, eh, <laughs> I have my madness, but I'm here. Have mercy. You'll be amazed at the justification you receive through Christ. Than the one who walks like this to show, hey, me, like, what can you blame on me? You know, people who walk like that, hey, like, what? What can you blame? Do you understand what I'm saying? I've been around such people. Some of you probably don't know, but me, because I'm a pastor, I see it all the time. And I see this person and I'm like, hmm. You see, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, Peter, Peter. I have seen your future. <laughs> and I've seen that Satan has desired to sift you 
That means where you're going, you must fall. Jesus did pray, I've prayed that you don't fall. No, he says, I've prayed for you that when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. That means Peter had a Pharisee thing in him. And Jesus said, you know, I see where you're going. This thing is going to make you fall one day. But when you fall, you'll be more patient with your own brothers. Restore them when you are converted. I thought Jesus was going to say, I see Satan coming to take you. Fire! No. Because when you think this way, usually, God will let certain things happen in your life. And then one day after some years, you look at yourself and compare yourself with the people you used to think were sinners. You'll be shocked. Now, some of you, that's what you're dealing with. Something dressed up on your head. You don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. But if we backtrack, rewind some years back, you pointed the finger and said, Father, I thank you. Because I'm not like that. Now you're the one in it now. As I'm speaking now, your body has messed you up. You don't even know left from right. You say, what's wrong with you? Flesh, flesh, come down. You understand? But at one point, you are the one who are saying, Ikali, how can that brother do this? How can this sister do this? <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. That which you will not to do, you do. And that which you will to do, you don't do. Romans chapter 7. You're fighting a battle. But God is trying to deliver the Pharisee out of you. You're rebuking every demon except this one. And you're asking yourself why you're not coming out of that weakness. Now you've prayed about it. God, you have prayed, you fasted about it. Oh God, deliver me, 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 Lord. I rebuke, I rebuke, I cancel, I cancel. In Jesus' name, leave me. Go. It just won't leave. Why? Because the problem is not the issue you're dealing with. The issue really is your heart. God wants to humble you a little bit such that the next time you are free, you will never walk as a Pharisee. No. You will understand grace so well that when you see another brother fall, you will say, hey, prayers, Jesus, deliver. Strength, help. You understand? You will only point for their deliverance. You will never utter another word. That's why I told you some of you the things you're dealing with. You judge certain people about the same things years ago. Now you're stuck with that thing. It won't leave. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in fault, ye which are what? Spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of criticism. In the spirit of attacker. In the spirit of fire. In the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself. Lest you also be tempted. Are you following what I'm saying? Let me show us the heart of God. Can I show it to you? A story is given in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11. And I want us to read in the message version. Let me show you God's heart. So you understand how to walk out. How to live right. How to save yourself. A story is given. Remember that whole impression you give outside. Eh? That thing caught Peter. And then one day. Some Jews were coming, I believe, from Judea. 
that they were from Jerusalem. So they come to see these people in Galatia. Now, Peter was eating with the what? With the Gentiles. Yet, the Jews back in the day were not allowed to eat with what? Yeah, because the Gentiles, they desecrate you. They pollute you. The moment you sit with a Gentile, you are polluted immediately. Can you believe at one point, Jews used to think that if you sat down with a Gentile, you were polluted. At one point, it existed. Now look at the Gentile church. Look at the Gentile church. Go to Israel and see. And look for the church in Israel. Because they never understood the heart of God. Heaven is going to shock people. You're going to reach heaven, some of you. And an angel will tell you, first wait, we're going to get back to you. And then you'll see an angel pick a certain guy. And the guy will come and say, hey, Chichi, they told me to wait, okay. <laughs> Find me there. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Find me there. I'm telling you, heaven will shock some of you. You'll find certain people seated with Paul and Moses. They're jazzing. And then they'll tell you, get keeper. <laughs> I'm telling you, heaven is going to shock some of you. <laughs> That's why the Bible says the publicans have inherited the kingdom of God. Heaven is going to shock people. I'm telling you, heaven is going to shock people. Some of us will reach in heaven and say, eh, even this man didn't come. And the man was holy. He didn't come. You're sure? No. Check his number. Call him. Wah! I'm telling you. Read Matthew 21 verses 31. What does it say? The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. True story. Some guy will be seated there with his eh, decoration. And the Kagali right on the street will say. I'm telling you. Some people will go before you. If you don't understand the heart of God. Because you see, in its own self, it's pride for you to assume that in your own righteousness, you're better than another man. Because man at his own best, the Bible says, very best is altogether vanity. Even if you keep yourself at your very best, if it's your own ways and work without the work of grace, you are at your worst in your own righteousness. That's the filth God is talking about. So, the Bible says in verses 11, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul is speaking, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. He says, here's the situation. Earlier before, certain persons had come from James, that is Jerusalem, and Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. You see? And the Bible says, but when the conservative group came from Jerusalem, he consciously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. This is how fearful he was of the conservative group, Jewish clique, that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. In other words, because this thing creates this whole thing of, who do you hang out with? If you're in a certain group of pastors, you're the right one. If you're not in that group of pastors, you must be Illuminati. You must be cult. If you pray with a certain man of God, you are righteous. If you don't pray with a certain man of God, you're not righteous. If you're not submitted to a certain man of God, you're not righteous. If you're submitted to that man of God, you must be righteous. You understand? So, because of the action of the thought of purity in their own eyes, 
they distance themselves from everyone and feel they are holier. And then because they feel that they are holier, they start to look down on everyone that is weak and then create more beauty outside, yet the inward is dying. And that's the thing that was on Peter. No wonder when Jesus looks through him, he knew this guy would fall. There are people I look at and I know they must fall again because they've not yet understood. And to fall is for God to help them because he needs to first wash out that ego, eh? that inflated self-righteousness. You look at a person and know this guy, it doesn't matter when or how one day something will hit him and we shall be here to watch. Now, the day it hits him and you also say, ah, see God, me, I'm better. Whoa. <laughs> you get the trick, eh? So when he falls, look away and say, Rico Paradego, Zige, Sarabalali, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You get the trick, eh? Because some of you wait for others to fall, then they fall, and then you still stay carnal, and then, you know what happens? <laughs> Eventually, you also laugh at them, and then what? You also what? Fall. Do you know that just laughing at your enemy can make God forgive him and release him from punishment? Did you know? That portion of scripture exists. The Bible says, do not laugh so loud at your enemy. Listen, the Lord watch it and relieve the man. <laughs> Proverbs 24, verse 17. Uh -huh. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Next line. Listen, the Lord see it and it displeases him and it turn away his wrath. Some of you, the reason why God does not punish people longer. You celebrate it quicker. So when God is punishing your enemy, you say, oh, sorry. Sorry, we are praying. <laughs> pun intended, pun intended. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you, somebody just got one problem and say, aha, this is the beginning of the story. And God immediately lifted the man's judgment. He looked at you and said, he lifted the wrath off. The next thing you know, the man just went through a short test and is standing again. You see what I'm saying? But you're not safe yet. Because the fact that you could rejoice at his fall, maybe there's a Pharisee thing in you still in there. Let me tell you, the things I'm telling you are the real issues why some of you have failed to walk out of certain things. And these ones you can't rebuke. I see demons going. You know those demons that live silently? They don't scream. They just go. And as I'm preaching, I see them, they're flying out of people. They're flying out of people. They're living, they're living, they're living, they're living. You understand? Somebody shout hallelujah. So back to Peter's story. Because I want to show you the heart of God. Now, because there's that conservative clique that has a list of expectations, there's a way it should find you. There's somebody it should find you with. You're not supposed to eat with an Jew. And Peter is here eating with a Gentile. Paul, the Bible says, this is how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that has been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, he says, the rest of the Jews in Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the chariot. Even Barnabas was swept. You see? That means these men had not been free. These are the men Peter was to restore. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady straight course according to the message, 
He says, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. And I said, if you are Jew, live like an non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem. What right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression of your old Jerusalem colonies? He's trying to tell him. Now, if you can stand up on a table to walk away because your friends have seen you, you're sitting with a sinner. What makes you think that you can convince this sinner to believe your God? Do you know there are men who cannot get born again because of how they see the way we treat each other? Born again Christians? They look at us and they say, mm -mm, I can't become born again. As pastors, those people look at us and they cannot admire to be born again because of us men of God. They look and say, mm -mm, if this is Christianity, let me stay in my religion. If this is Christianity, this is being born again, I would rather keep my faith. And many of us, we have stumbled more people out of the kingdom than those we have brought in because of this very thing, publicans versus Pharisees, or Pharisees versus publicans. That's the war. But it's really law versus grace. If you dig deeper, it's law versus grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now let's continue with this. Verses 15, he says, We Jews know that we are no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. I wish some people understand that portion of scripture. Have you been around people who think, oh, I'm a Jew. So they think that by being a Jew, you have an advantage over a Gentile. In the Old Testament, yes. In the New Testament, no. In fact, I want to even change your theology. When the Bible says pray for Israel, it's not just talking about a nation with boundaries. Because the scripture speaks of the time where we were grafted in. We were the wild olive and we were grafted in. Not all of those who are in Israel are of Israel. You might have Abrahamic or whatever, but if you are not born again, you are of no advantage at all to a born again believer. So when we say pray for Israel, we say, pray for born-again Christians. Because they're not going to go to heaven because they are Jew. Do you understand what I'm saying? Of course there is a prophecy that God will bring them in. That is why we pray for the salvation of Israel. Because we see that that homecoming eventually will come through where the Messiah will appear. And they will finally come to the revelation of their master. And see whom they crucified. And then be reconciled with him. But by the time they do... The Gentile nations will have provoked them to jealousy by what God is doing in the Gentile church. So practically speaking, God is not talking about Jew by blood. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is talking about Jew by faith. Israel by faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. Your sons and daughters of Abraham but you're not of natural birth or descent. Do you follow what I'm saying? So Paul is trying to tell Peter that in the New Testament, the Jew is not better than the Gentile. You have no advantage. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get rid of the other mindset. Some of you, it's those little small things. You went to this theology school. And then you think that you're better than the person who didn't go to theology school. Oh. Oh, because you speak a certain way, so you think everybody who doesn't speak your way is wrong. What if they're wrong? 
You see what I'm saying? So he's telling him we are of no advantage to the non-Jewish sinners. We know very well, verse 16, that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but by only through personal faith in Christ Jesus. How many people know that? That you're not set right because you have kept all the rules. And you're pointing at the other sister who hasn't kept the rules. So you assume that because the other sister hasn't, therefore you are set right. No, you are not. All of us have one access to justification, Jesus. But some of us disqualify, we refuse what Jesus can give. And then we build our own righteousness here as though to think that we are still better in our own abilities minus what Christ can do. Let me tell you, if all of us have access through Christ, then the moment we all get in, we are equal. You are of no advantage over me. I might be on a journey. You might be probably five or six kilometers away, but I am going too. Just be patient with me. One day I might find you drinking water and I overtake you. What do you think disturbs people? One time a man looked at me and he told me, how can God use you? I was shocked. A man asked me, how can God use you? I said, what? He said, how can God use you? You are too young. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. He told me, how can God use you? You are too young. We have worked with God for many years. This can't be God. <laughs> His problem was that God came in a smaller figure, dark-skinned, <laughs> younger than him. That is how God appears. That is why he was born in a manger, not a five-star hotel. That's just the way of God. He appears in the humble. He works in the public and not the what? Yeah. Are you following what I'm saying? So don't underestimate people because they don't match your criterion. Don't. You don't know the person you're despising now what they can be in 10 years or 5 years. You don't know some people you go to work two weeks, some people you go to school with, they might or could become something that you never expected. But you're like, how? You see? Pharisee. Pharisee. I'm just trying to show us the heart of God here. Are you following me? Now he says, we know very well that we're not set right with rule keeping. How do we know? We tried it. We had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. We realized that with all the systems of the law we had, Paul is trying to tell them, we could not make our own selves right because of doing good or by doing good. We couldn't do good. Even if we tried, we could never make that mark that God expects. He says, except your righteousness supersedes that of a Pharisee. You can never see the kingdom of God. How can that happen when the Pharisee was blameless? And God tells you, for me to give you salvation, you even have to be more than the blameless guy. Eh? What kind of righteousness is that? He's trying to tell you, you cannot. You cannot. And Paul is telling them, we had the systems, we did everything. Until we realized the only way we could walk right was to go before God and trust in him than trying to be good. Verses 17. Have some of you noticed, now listen, very importantly, that we are not yet perfect? Now, let me see. Some Pharisees are going to say, I'm, I'm perfect. Ah, have some of you noticed? Yeah, now, we're talking about the flesh now, not the spirit. We're talking about the flesh. Not the new creation in Christ. 
Have some of you noticed that even though you have believed this message, there are things in your life that have not yet changed? Huh? Listen, here's the heart. Paul says, no great surprise, right? And he's now asking the question, and are you now ready to make the accusation that since people like Apostle Grace, Pastor Zach, my wife and the rest, go through Christ, listen, in order to get things right with God, they aren't perfectly virtuous. Therefore, you're saying that Christ is an accessory to sin. Because we have refused to be justified through their law and we are choosing to yield to Christ's work in us and we are not subscribing to the law, then they think that because of that, therefore, Jesus Christ must be an accessory to sin. We must be sinners. Because we are not doing it their way. You've heard people say, Infanero, you just sleep around. It's okay to sin. You understand what I'm saying? This is their problem because we're not doing it their way. We're not doing it the Pharisee way. We are doing it the Christ way. God did not call me to teach about sin. No. Paul says when I was among you, I sought to know nothing and be acquainted of nothing except him, dead and crucified. He called me to introduce Christ to you and allow Christ to work on you. Some of you might take two months. Some of you might take two years. Some of you might take three years. Some of you might take weeks. But he did not call me to change you. He called me to give you him. Teach Christ every day. Until you wake up one day and say, eh, I think it's not right to sleep around. And you lock your zip alone. Without anyone rebuking you and you say, now I'm done. Now that is transformation. That is transformation. That is transformation. Transformation. That is transformation. That is transformation. But some of you, the zip is closed here, but it's... Uh, do you follow? No, some of you know what I'm talking about. You started listening the message and you lost the appetite of sin. Wanika. Ah. So, we didn't need to nail you, but you were transforming. You just found yourself, you couldn't go to the bar. You just found yourself, you couldn't smoke anymore. You just found yourself, you said, what's wrong with me? What have they just, but what was working? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now, among us, there are people who are not yet perfect. And we are willing to be associated with them because we understand the journey. We are also coming from far. It's okay to be called that for the sake of these younger ones. Let us wait for them like we waited for you too. They too will change. But while they are still on that journey, could you be a little bit patient? Are you seeing the heart of God? Could you be a little bit patient? It's okay to call me this because somebody impregnated the girl in the church. For me, it's okay. Because that's not who we are. But I would rather be associated with that young man, restore him and let him heal. And one day say that when nobody believed in me, that man was there. Now call me a sinner because of him. I'm okay. But I don't want to be found in the place of 
river wachachi. You are a sinner. That's not the heart of the Father. That's not the heart of God. That's what Paul is trying to tell Peter. That we are not yet made perfect. But as we are going there, it doesn't mean that Christ is an accessory to sin. We are not using him for sin because we are not preaching the Lord, but him and grace. No. He says that accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old band that I tore down and I will be acting as a charlatan. A charlatan here is not the man who is living sinful, but is the man trying to rebuild what he broke. You broke the law and now you're going back into the law instead of allowing the grace of God to work in your life for your transformation. If you don't yield to God to work in your life, you'll act delivered, but you will not be. You know, when you're alone, the demon will come back until you totally yield to the grace of God. But while you're on that journey, we are going to be patient with you. And when God restores you, please be patient with others also. Somebody shout hallelujah. Verses 19. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's. Verses 20. Christ's life showed me how and what enabled me to do it. You see, not Moses. Christ. That means the moment I continue giving you Christ. Somebody said hallelujah. He will not only show you how to walk out of that weakness, but he will enable you also to walk out of that weakness. Christ only. You must understand why we preach grace. And then he continues to say, I identified myself completely with him. How? As you are being taught, Christ. You see, if I tell you, don't steal, don't steal. How do you identify with Christ? You see what I'm saying? But if I tell you, Christ is righteousness. Christ is peace. Christ is love. You identify easily. Because the law was given to stop all mouths and to prove all men guilty. You see what I'm saying? Now he continues to say, I identified myself complete with it and indeed I've been crucified with Christ. He says, my ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you. Or have your good opinion. It's not important that I appear right before some man of God. No. My heart, my conscience is pure. That is enough. You see, don't seek to be right before everyone. They might not understand you. But in your heart, you know that you're walking your journey and God is dealing. You understand? So it's okay if they give opinion about you. It's okay. Don't chase after opinions. Every man can say opinions. I was telling somebody that you can tell a man by the fruit of his enemies. You can tell the glory on a man by the fruit of his enemies. You'll always have more fruit than his enemies. You see what I'm saying? So you keep your walk. Don't answer. You keep your walk. And let God continue what? Yeah. You might have your issue, you, the cigarettes has failed to, yeah, it's okay. You just come and sit. Hey, in your madness, you come and what? One more here, we allow you. You come and sit. And let us go through this together. 
One day you'll wake up and look at this thing and throw it away without anybody telling you. But somebody had to believe in you. That's the price. Somebody shout hallelujah. He continues to say, I'm no longer driven to impress God. Eh? Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He said, I'm not going back to that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in relationship with God? He says, I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. God is saying, the reason why he sent Jesus was because you could not. Do you know why some people have even refused to become born again? Can I tell you why some of you have refused to become born again? You're telling God that me, I can still do it. I still can do it in my own way. Surrendering to God means I have come to the realization I cannot do without you. And surrendering is not the day you only walked on the altar and said that I'm going to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's a daily experience of yielding over to God and dying in him and allowing his work, receiving the message, bending and breaking, learning to forgive, learning to love the unlovable, learning to reach out to the sinner, learning not to judge men because they don't match to your standard, learning to go for the lost and broken to say, you know, I know that you're not yet there, but I'm still believing in you and you can walk out of this anyway. Many of you are standing because we were patient with you. There are sons and daughters I have here. Nobody can pastor you. I'm telling you, I know the madness on your head. It takes only grace. But look at you. You're shining. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So that is the journey of salvation. Let us not live as Pharisees. No. Let us not live in the world to condemn others. No. Don't live in the world to point who has fallen, who is bad, who is a thief. No, don't. You also have your journey. You're not yet dead. You don't know what might happen next year. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of us are parents. We are raising children. And we have the audacity to point on other people's children. Who came out of wombs like yours as well. Especially if you're a woman, you should know more. I've seen women judge other people's children. Hey, hey, those children, you have children too. And you're pointing fingers on another woman's children. And some of you, the reason why your children are running mad, you pointed fingers at another person's son. Now the same thing you judged in another man's house is in yours. You no longer know what to do. You see what I'm saying? Don't attract unnecessary what? Wars. Stick to your course. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, I'm going to give you a few minutes to repent. Don't turn to your neighbor and tell him, did you hear what they told you? No. I'm talking about you. I'm going to give you a few minutes to realign and recalibrate yourself. Come on, just raise your voice and let's speak to God. Let's raise our voices and speak to God.
times you sang what the devil was feeling. I cannot tell you what you have done to hell. Come on, clap your hands to Jesus. I decree and I declare in the name of Jesus that it is well with you. It is well with your going in and in your going out, in your dreams, in your aspirations. It is well in your moral life. God will straighten you up himself. And you'll ashamed those who never thought that you could be something in this world. I decree that you are not under the spirit of condemnation. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and your body, your flesh agrees with everything God has created to be true. And it might not happen today, it might happen next week, next month, next year. But this is what I know for sure, that you'll get better and better and better and better and live right in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for those of you who are sick in your body. I rebuke every spirit of infirmity and disease. I command it to live. Those of you who are bound, whatever you're dealing with, I'm praying for your debts to be paid. I'm praying for financial breakthrough for you. May you see God before this year ends in the name of Jesus. May you see a restoration of whatever you lost through the COVID season. May the hand of God shine mighty on your life. May God advantage you and advance you in this field and in the city. In Jesus' name we have prayed and believed. If you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an open invitation. For those of you who say, you know, Apostle, today I have realized I cannot. Only Christ and his grace can carry me to where I must go. Today, don't harden your heart. If you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You repeat these words after me. Say, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ because he shed his blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.